here today with Alex Bailey from Bailey and French. Hello, Alex. How are you? Hi, I'm good. Thank you, John. How are you? Yeah, I'm OK, I suppose. A bit bored of lockdown, but OK. Can't really complain. The biggest thing, the worst thing in my life at the moment is being bored. Can't really complain. No, no. Keep busy. Keep busy. Listen, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Really appreciate it. And we were going to talk about how we use positive psychology in learning and how we get people to learn from each other, which is a sort of a speciality of yours and your organization. Do you want to just introduce that idea and explain what what that means for people like me who otherwise <laughs> wouldn't understand a word of what I just said if you hadn't told That's me to fine. say it? Um, I'll start. I'll kind of start from the beginning then. In terms of positive psychology, um, is positive psychology is, is actually a whole new paradigm um, in the field of, of of learning and psychology. Traditionally, psychology has been very much focused on fixing what's wrong with people and teams and organisations. And positive psychology really focuses on what's already right with with people and teams and organisations. And what that means is actually a complete flip in terms of how we use positive psychology to structure conversations where people can learn and grow together, rather than taking kind of an assessment approach and looking for gaps that we need to fill or try to focus on building up people's skills around their weaknesses, but really getting people to flip the way they see themselves, the way they see and understand the world around them, their context, um, and what they need in order to achieve the, the outcomes they want to aim for by focusing on what's already going right um, with them, with their teams and their organisations. And, and so taking a, a structured approach um, in terms of providing platforms for people to explore those aspects of their their context, their work, and using um, appreciative inquiry and positive questioning that's future focused and focused on what um, people already enjoy, what they're good at, what they can influence to really bounce off eat each other and learn from each other um, in developing awareness, not just about themselves, but about everyone around them too, to have a better impact and effect on themselves, their work, their lives and beyond. Okay, so it's about building on strengths rather than addressing weaknesses. As, a, as an approach to psychology, just to sort of take a devil's advocate approach just for a second. In, a lot of learning breakthroughs are when we're really challenging people and really trying to get people to think, maybe overcome things like self-limiting beliefs, maybe really think through and, and reflect upon what's not going right. How would something like positive psychology help in those circumstances? Or would it? Yeah, absolutely. It's just as applicable. And it's a common misconception that positive psychology and a focus on strengths means we ignore our weaknesses. And it actually, it's it's quite the opposite. It's more attention to and honesty about our weaknesses, those things that drain us, those things that we actually can't stand doing that don't come naturally to us. And finding ways to combat those by using our strengths um, and then focusing on the outcomes that we need to achieve. So if we can focus much more on outcomes um, as in, in ourselves, in our learning and with our, with our teams, then actually how we get there um, can be more up to us that's more empowering it's, it can be more fun and more enjoyable if we're able to do it in a way that actually uh, allows us to use and play play to our strengths but just simply knowing and using your strengths isn't um, necessarily learning and I think um, what you're talking about there in terms of those um, lovely breakthrough moments where people you know actually do break through self-limiting beliefs that can still come in focusing on developing our areas of strength so for example if someone has fairly new into a career where they're able to use their strength 
but maybe haven't stretched that, is that we get them to stretch it into new, more developed, more larger volume areas. So for example, if someone is very good at relating to others, they may have only had the opportunity to relate to others in one-to-one or a team context, but gradually getting them to stretch the size of the audience that they're relating to and the different techniques and platforms they use in doing so can be stretching their skills into an area of strength rather than an area of weakness, which can cause fear and anxiety and actually then switch us into kind of fight or flight mode. And actually then all we're really doing to combat their, their, their discomfort is, is actually trying to um, reduce anxiety and nerves uh, and fear um, in terms of getting in front of an audience. So it, there's a very big difference between stretching into an area of strengths versus stretching into an area of weakness and kind of throwing people into that space. That's really useful, actually, because at first thought, it could sound a little bit like this is all happy, clappy, let's all be lovely to each other. But it is still within a challenging environment, potentially. And it is still about development. Yeah, it's actually I think I think it's really challenging, actually, for people to to label and confront their weaknesses. And it's a very interesting one, um, particularly in in, gosh, a British culture. I find that that people are quite happy to come up with a long list of what their weaknesses are. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. to talk about their strengths but actually confronting those and being honest about what your your weaknesses really are and working ways around those it can be a really liberating empowering experience especially when you're doing it in, a, in and amongst a team and admitting that everybody in the whole team has weaknesses and we all have strengths but actually if we can work together in terms of the outcomes we're working towards we can all work together using our strengths to cover each other ultimately if you're working in a role that's you know any more than 20% focused on your weaknesses you're going to be miserable most of the time anyway so it's not really it's it's not really worth the effort continuously trying to to develop those areas and they'll come up year after year on your development plan as well because they're not something that people actually enjoy working on very much you mentioned appreciative inquiry which is something that um, I've used myself a few times do you want to just very quickly say how that works and how that ties into this idea of positive psychology? Well, it's 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 a well-known technique. Um, it's been around for some time, and it is, is a core tenet and technique used in in the field of positive psychology. Is really using positive questions that are future-focused to draw people towards outcomes, and actually helps open up your creative parts of your brain. It shows that it can can actually help people through eliciting positive emotions that they can think of up to three I think sometimes maybe more than that three more solutions to problems when they're in that positive state than if they're actually feeling um, anxious or nervous so it has a really big impact on people's ability to their cognitive ability to think beyond their their current context. So if we were designing a learning program if we just sort of maybe run through an example or something like uh, you know, a manager leading a team or something like that, if we're designing like a learning program, how might it be different if we're taking this positive psychology approach? Working with, with, with teams using positive psychology, a manager is really tapping into motivations that are very core um, to people's beliefs and meaning and purpose, not only in their work, but in their life as well. And being able to tap into those pieces and have conversations about things that are really very much part of someone's authentic self and identity actually develops much greater relationships between people in the team and particularly manager and and team member and then once you've got that strength of relationship it can actually withstand a much higher level of challenge in that relationship um, around things like performance and and growth and development because 
the individuals feel that actually they know each other so well on a on a strengths basis that they know what's good about each other and what they're capable of when they are being their best that actually that eliminates and kind of reduces any negative assumptions and judgments that are being made about why or why not performance is 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 coming through so it can be a really motivating kind of foundation for how managers operate and work with their teams in terms of coaching them on a one-to-one basis or in terms of team meetings and and actually motivating the team on an ongoing basis so if you were doing management development you would be talking to your managers or the managers in the in on the program or on the on the training course you'd be talking to them about how to use positive psychology as a tool for them as managers absolutely i was going to say how would you be using it as a facilitator and why would that how would i notice that's different for me as a participant from traditional training if you like i think um it probably comes back to this kind of focus on assessments i think there is a bit of an obsession in traditional training practice to focus on assessing everybody up front and people can feel quite judged through an assessment process and therefore they can kind of shut off or withdraw if they're not really fully engaged or a bit wary about what they're going to be then therefore asked to do and I think taking a positive psychology approach really helps to tap into as I said that person's motivations and purpose in a way that helps them feel really engaged and give more of themselves in terms of being open about what they wanted to do in terms of learning and growing and how they want to connect to others and that openness provides a platform and kind of the conditions and the environment for teams and managers to to learn and grow together in a really impactful way because they're much they're coming to a conversation with a much more open mindset they're thinking about how they can support themselves and others to grow rather than being fixed and that's that difference between kind of focusing on kind of assessment and and, and fixing weaknesses and what's wrong with people versus actually coming together to support and to learn and grow together towards a new outcome is just a completely different flip side of seeing the whole environment and when people are in that mindset they're thinking about what they can do differently and how they can learn and grow it's a much more positive environment it's also a lot more fun and so without being too happy clappy as you say about it it's a it's a lot more enjoyable when people are 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 enjoying what they're doing and they're really um, engaged in their learning that it's much more likely to to stick and so we talk a lot about kind of sticky learning it's much more likely to have an impact they're going to remember it they're going to want to do it afterwards they're going to want to apply it into their work and into their lives if you're basing it on strengths and if you if, if that's one of the one of your ways into this then obviously there's going to be a lot of strengths in the room. There's going to be a lot of experience in the room, a lot of ideas, a lot of talent there. That doesn't necessarily, it doesn't have to be a sort of a one-way knowledge transfer coming from you, the sage on the stage. It can be getting people to share more in the room, their own experiences, their own ideas, their own solutions. Is that something that forms part of how you would approach training, learning? Yeah, that's that's probably one of the the basic foundations of how we approach any group learning situation being a psychologist and an occupational psychologist you know it's it's really easy to kind of slip into quite heavy kind of theory and explaining models and how people fit into those structures and frameworks and come across as literally the lecturer um, and just transferring knowledge to people but doesn't really get much impact beyond um, simply sharing some some of the science what we find has the biggest impact in terms of translating into work performance outcomes is really getting people to learn from each other 
in an open and welcoming and a kind of engaging environment from their peers, people who are facing the same challenges in similar roles to them. Because yes, I'm a psychologist, I might understand the concept and the theory, but I'm not working in their role, in their market, in their industry. And so I can't possibly understand what it's like to apply that. Whereas if you drop um, a, a theory, an idea, a framework, and you, you provoke the right type of positive questions in a way that invites people to learn and grow together, people can debate and challenge each other in a really positive way that's not, not full of conf conflict or kind of confrontation and collaborate to, together to come up with their own solutions that are going to be not only maybe quick wins, but actually longer term sustainable commitments that will have an impact over time to the bigger outcomes. And we find that also then creates more of, a, more of a learning community beyond the one workshop in terms of traditional training. And it's a lot more fun as well. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> well, when I was on a training course a, few, a couple of years ago now, probably, and there was virtually no space whatsoever for anybody in the room to be speaking apart from the trainer, because there was so much material that had to be taught at you that there was just no other space. And that just became increasingly frustrating, partly because I wanted to show off my own knowledge, of course, but uh, just because it's more fun if you can be in an active role and, and and I find that kind of training to be just so disheartening so it is a lot more fun the more you're actually using the knowledge in the room can you apply the same approach if you've got some kind of assessment at the end such as a certification because I've tended to find that training that work that's focused on certification is focused on certification rather than focused on learning and I just wondered if the approach you're taking is around sharing and learning and engaging. Is it as an effective if the point of it is really just certification, something box ticky like that? It's not it's not an approach we take um, very often. Can I just tell you why I asked that question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I just hate training for certification. It drives me nuts. So if any if one any outcome of this conversation can be people doing certification training do it a bit better, I feel that I will have achieved something in my life. So I'm just hoping that people okay. that do certification training are listening to this and can take on a much more engaging approach as you're describing. I think I, I think the, the the demand from learners is going to change the industry in that respect anyway, because I think learners are now demanding much more variety in terms of methods and approaches of how they are able to learn and a lot more quests for on-demand pieces. And the on-demand pieces can be much more of that knowledge transfer um, in terms of articles and videos and things like this podcasts where people can learn in their own time and listen and, and think about what they think about the content. Whereas I think some of the, the more interactive learning workshop environments where people feel not only equipped, but are able to practice with peers in a non-judgmental environment in a way, then they actually get to, to practice and take on new skills in a way that they're developing confidence. And I think a lot of what we do in terms of supporting learning is, is as much about confidence as it is about equipping people with the, 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 school, the, the knowledge and the techniques and the tools because you can give people all of the tools uh, and they still won't go ahead and use them. It's got to be about that practicing, how to get their own language around it, how to make it fit into their own context and certainly through the peer and collaborative learning approach, they're more likely to try things that maybe they wouldn't do ordinarily on their own or without the prompts on the platform. So a lot of it's about platforming, really. It's just if you're giving people the right platform, the right environment and conditions, they're likely to try new things in a different way. And ultimately, the outcomes of a lot of those learning opportunities 
often lead towards what I call cultural evolution, which is, is I think, very different to kind of taking a cultural transformation or a cultural change approach, which is all about changing from A to B. And actually, cultural evolution is more of a continuous, sustainable, long-term approach to working towards big, bigger and better outcomes continuously with everyone and not needing to change people. I think there's too much focus on we must transform this culture in order to survive. I'll hear a lot of that language. And ultimately, culture is people and people is us. We're talking about us. So you're just basically saying, let's transform us. Well, that's not really very respectful because actually we should be focusing on on being our best selves and being authentic and being happy with that and the unique brilliance that we all kind of bring into the mix. So um, I find it quite disrespectful kind of when people run transformational cultural transformation programs and then there's lots of learning workshops that are put into the people work stream that delivers that and I think it needs to be much more of a focus on how can we evolve culture much more positively so that we're all just working in a really good direction to continuously improve how we are how people are how the environment is and how the culture is that's really interesting there's a couple of points there that I just want to comment on just just so they don't get lost one was the point about confidence and I think that's so important and often missed because a lot of L&D is around filling knowledge and skills gaps because they are can be more explicitly described and measured and they are usually the sort of the start of most learning interventions is thinking about what do people need to learn what's your learning needs analysis coming out with what gaps have been identified and oftentimes as you say it's not a lot of the knowledge and skills that we use in everyday workplaces are not particularly difficult and it is a lot of the time around confidence. There's an, obviously there's an element of knowledge, there's an element of practice involved. But a lot of the time, confidence is at least a bigger part of the puzzle as as the knowledge or the skill. I, I, I think that so often gets lost because it's even more sort of squishy than the rest of training. So it's a bit even harder to measure. But absolutely, I think that's such an important point. So I'm really glad you brought that up. And the other thing I just kind of want to riff on as well is this point about cultural evolution versus big showy change. I think change projects are largely about the ego of the person doing the change project and the stuff that they want to put on their CV, much more so than they are about achieving any kind of effective outcome. Because as as you say, effective outcomes tend to come through evolution, which is much more boring, but it's much more effective. So I, can, yeah. I just um, want to amplify those two points because they're two <laughs> things that I really bang on about a fair amount. It really depends whether you, I mean, I don't know if you've read um, Simon Sinek's book recently, The Infinite Game. It's it's that kind of mindset around longevity and sustainable approaches to, to, to organizations even existing and thinking much more about the long game and the impact on, on the people and the environment. I think people are so much more morally, you know, and socially conscious and aware of what they're doing to people and, um, you know, the environment that actually now businesses are going to, the demand is there now for businesses to start operating and acting in that way. And I think traditional kind of change projects are quite short-termist really even you know 12 18 months is still relatively quick to change a culture you know traditionally it's, it's it should be in at least five to seven years you're talking about really changing people's behavior ultimately a lot of that happens by actually changing the people in the roles rather than actually changing the culture <laughs> so i think they give each other enough time to, to kind of get a new swathe of people through rather than actually change so i agree with you I, i'm not a fan of, of just change projects for change's sake I can't really segue this back to the script because we've gone off on this much more interesting tangent. But uh, <laughs> So I'm just going to clumsily ask the next question. One of the things that you do, I know a lot about in your training, is around using structured conversations in order to ensure that it is about sharing learning rather than one-way transmit of knowledge. 
how do you do that? And what sort of techniques have you got to make sure that those conversations actually deliver? Okay, so at the heart of all our structured conversations, and we've got lots of different kind of tools and techniques we use in order to do those, depending on what the topic is, whether it's performance or well-being or strengths. At the heart of all of that is really the theory of emotional intelligence. So we use that to structure how we build all of our structured tools and and content, which is really firstly about developing self-awareness. So asking questions for people around to to help them identify and really reflect on their own awareness of self around the topic. And then expand that to get them thinking about how other people feel about that topic and so they're starting to consider that other people have a a might have a difference of opinion around something and then really get them thinking about actions and and behaviors and skills that they can they can influence or 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 shift to that really help them manage them their own selves and and their the way they operate as well as managing their relationships with other people so at the heart of all of, of what we do we use that and we'll we'll kind of facilitate sessions based on where the group is that we're working with. So we get a variety of different groups, regardless of where they sit in the hierarchy in terms of their level of emotional intelligence. And sometimes, you know, if people really are unable to consider that other people have a different of a different opinion, we'll sit at that self-awareness and other awareness level and we'll not move on. We'll focus on that because that's where they are right now. There's no point in going and kind of trying to move them into the relationship management piece if actually they really need to focus in on what they're aware of first. And rushing people through that doesn't really work. It just, as we kind of said before, just ticks the box. It's about really helping people have that opportunity to reflect on themselves and how they are and what they think and how they behave and then then reflect that around the different aspects of their context, whether it be people or, or teams around them. And that structure has has served me well for 20 years in my career and, and is at the heart of all uh, the work that we do at Bailey and French. So, uh, yeah, I find that really useful way to and a very simple way of thinking about things as well. So you'll start by the self-awareness piece. Always. Always starting with that and then moving into potentially relationship awareness if people are ready to, to move forward. Absolutely. And it's so funny how many people don't do that. So in traditional learning design, a lot of learning design starts with where's the organization right now? Where are relationships right now? It diagnoses the whole the, the context of everywhere else before it starts with the person. But most people don't kind of, you know, they don't start their day. They don't start their career. They don't start their their, their new jobs thinking about everyone around them they start thinking about themselves and where are they right now what's my identity what do I need to do so I think our learning approaches need to match where people's heads at and that needs to start with self and self-awareness and then does that step forward after after your self-awareness after relationship awareness do you then step into the other aspects around kind of self-management and social skills and things like that does it is that the kind of path you follow Absolutely, always. And it's that steady build and and reconnection and reflecting back on those points that helps people through that learning journey. And if you look at all the research, I mean, emotional intelligence is not a new theory. It's been around for for a very long time now. And the good thing about that is that there's a lot of robust and valid, reliable um, evidence-based research around the impact of emotional intelligence on people's effectiveness at work in general, effectiveness at performance in general, and effectiveness at leadership level in general. So, you know, there's enough there to demonstrate that actually Actually, with maturity, with experience, um, our emotional intelligence develops over time. And so actually at the core, to use that as a foundation and a structure to then develop and develop and understand topics using that, that model as a basis, really, I've found is just the most effective way to move people on through different kind of stages of their life, of their career, to continue growing and, and learning throughout as, as part of a lifelong learning journey, which I, I think is really important beyond just the, the work and the role. 
And will that always be through a series of conversations, structured conversations? Well, yes and no. So yes, I love I love helping people learn through dialogue and conversation. I've seen the biggest impact on people's lives through work um, when they are able to do that. And partly because as a psychologist, it's really interesting. And, and obviously, kind of my traditional training uh, demonstrates that, you know, even the reason therapy is so effective is because actually we use a different part of our brain when we're talking our problems out loud than when we're sitting there thinking about them on our own. So just sitting and reading something and thinking about it, we are, we are not interacting with it in the same way as actually when we verbalise and we verbalise something out loud. By the time we get to the end of the sentence, without even speaking to anyone, sometimes we can almost have found the solution ourselves. And I know lots of people who do that. And that's a really helpful process to go through because actually coming bringing something to to words, bringing something into language is bringing it to life in a way that you just can't do in your own mind. So yes, I I love the dialogue and conversation. That's one of the reasons I love face masks uh, that we have to wear at the moment because I can go around walking the dog with the face mask on and I'm chatting away to myself. Nobody knows. It's brilliant. (laughs) Face masks have never, ever, (laughs) it's never made a difference. I always talk to myself when I'm walking the dog. <laughs> People think I'm that that crazy lady who's always chatting away. But no, I think I think conversation is is one thing. But I, I also really um, think one thing that we're neglecting at the moment in the learning field is the power of reflection. I think we are so focused on what's next, what's on the horizon, what's coming up. And I love the future focus because it, it gives you hope and opportunity to be whatever you need to be. But there is something very powerful about learning through reflection. And I don't think there's enough of that done. And I think that people need to have a blend of that as well. I think people need to to, to, to continuously look back and reflect and think, how far have I come? What, what have I actually impacted? What have I actually done? And a lot of that kind of measurement is, is lost, I think, whether people do it on a personal basis or on a team basis. So we do like to build in quite a lot of reflection. Is that structured reflection or is that just space? both it can be either or it's up to people so i think people some people like the idea of having a structured reflection um and we'll build it into some leadership programs for example but i think when it's for that person and it's not about a measurement or an evaluation program or anything like that then actually it's probably more powerful so people writing you know even their own diary and journal around their their learning progress can be insightful and um and give people more more understanding of what they can do differently Um, in the future yeah I mean I find dialogue itself is anyway a reflective process so I I, for me they they kind of blend into one to some extent at that point I did have a question in my head but I've completely lost what it was just as uh, just as the pressure came on me to actually ask you it so One example that I know quite well from having done it uh, with you, Alex, is around this thing called teamings and using teaming with with groups. Do you want to? I think it's a really good example to explain the value of structured dialogue. Can you just explain briefly what it is, and then we can talk about how we apply structured dialogue to it. So civil service teaming is um, it's a model that was designed specifically for the civil service in the UK, and um, it's it's about taking the concept of of thinking about oneself and then thinking about the team and thinking about how you then interact with others similar to the the emotional intelligence model I just just talked through and then exploring those different lenses by then considering what is um, what are the different aspects that affect me or affect my team or affect others in the current context and the challenges that that we face as a team and so what it does is creates the opportunity for a team to talk together openly and positively about their current context and the challenges that they're facing to really help build 
the relationships and how they, they are feeling about what they need to do to perform together as a team. So it is quite a structured conversation, but it is it is also quite open and it's all about the dialogue and the conversation. What are the mechanics of it? Can you just explain how it works from that sense? Yeah, so we've we've developed um, a number of different tools, some physical, some virtual, to help people explore the different aspects of the model that was developed. To think about firstly um, self and and what strengths each individual brings to the team as as a unique and brilliant, wonderful human being on this planet is what is it that people really enjoy doing and how can they bring that to the performance of what they are expected to to do and to perform in the team. Um, and even sharing that amongst the team can be quite insightful because what people think they're there to do versus what other people have heard people are there to do can often differ quite a lot in and amongst teams especially when teams are moving and changing all the time or when people have been in role that's evolved over many many years actually it can be quite as I said just quite enlightening to to kind of actually explore what is what is the purpose of my role why am I here what do I bring to it so that's the kind of the first part the second part is really then thinking about the team and and the concept of us is is can we can we actually say we are a cohesive team or are we simply just a group of autonomous individuals working on the same project and there's a very different piece there around what is the what is the the feeling of belonging that we have the cohesiveness what is the the sense of of being able to have a voice as part of that team and contribute to that team as well as feeling that we're able to be ourselves as part of that team um, identity so that's really really kind of building from that individual space to to understanding the connectivity and cohesion of the team and then thinking about okay and how does this team then operate with all the others that we operate with internally and externally more and more now as we know teams and departments are working you know in a matrix fashion across lots of different kind of scenarios and lots of different lines in in organizations that are flexing to adapt to all kinds of challenges and the power and ability for for teams to be able to operate really well with others rather than compete with them or conflict with them is becoming more and more important so the power of the team is actually in my eyes becoming more important than the power of the leader the leader can obviously help guide that team and lead the team but the team overall is going to support the sustainable long-term performance it's not going to be on the shoulders of one or two high performing individuals and uh, who are kind of carrying the rest it needs to be that ebb and flow of everyone supporting each other in that team to operate really well and then for that team to be really powerful in terms of how it operates beyond the team so there's that aspect of around the others piece and then that's all wrapped around okay what is the challenge in the context we're working in right now our context and challenge uh, challenges change so much now that actually being able to ask ourselves the question and stop and say hang on a second what we were doing last week is, is that still relevant for what we're focusing on this week and the new challenges that have kind of reared their heads and and how do we need to maybe adapt and change and focus on different strengths or different ways of working to really respond to this challenge right now and the the ability to take notice of our context and the challenges we face is really really important because I think people kind of get, you get stuck in a in a mindset and a way of working that becomes just the way we do things around here and then actually holds us back from being able to adapt and be agile and and really think about the whole system. So that's a really critical part, as well as just considering our personal leadership as well. So, you know, how am I showing up to this team? How am I bringing what I can contribute, my strengths, my, my abilities and my skills to really have an impact on the team and what we can do as a team? And the, the structured way we do that, we've got different tools. We've got some, you know, some cards that help 
question around those different aspects of the model. We've got a conversation map that helps structure the conversation almost like in a storyboard through different aspects to be able to to really explore questions in a way that everyone can contribute and can think about solutions and ideas together in that collaborative learning environment. Blimey, quite a lot there. uh, (laughs) no there's loads loads to it i don't think i've ever quite got that far through it when i've uh, done it myself and and when i facilitated using that but i just wanted to just focus very quickly just before we end on you mentioned there about having cards and having a mat just in terms of what are on the face of it quite simple tools it's what they appear and i'm sure i can tell by the look on your face they obviously weren't quite that simple to put together but from 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 the outside, they look sort of fairly simple tools. How do they work, and how how are they sort of put together? Yeah, it's a good question, and it and it is uh, it is the a, cat's a, back a long, again. <laughs> you just kick the cat off; it's just come process. back. <laughs> a long iterative process of um of working on those 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 conversation mats that really that really, as I said, help guide a conversation. And you know, it, it really depends how much you put into them. But they're designed as basically a poster on the table that that gives you a focus that's not a slide deck that people are kind of bored of seeing the next slide, the next slide, but an active and interactive engagement tool whereby people can actually write on the mat and make it their own and draw pictures and comments, etc. And it's for, you know, teams of maybe up to 10 or 12 people to sit around together and go through a structured conversation. But having something there that focuses the attention really gets you away from the kind of conflicting situation where you're sat across from somebody just talking straight at them. It gives you a focus. It gives you something else to to draw your eye line to when you're talking about topics that are sometimes really quite difficult for people to talk about. And so it's, as I said, it's designed for kind of 10 to 12 people to sit around together to have a conversation for around about two hours. And you can whip through it a lot quicker than that because you can just simply take it as, you know, responding to each question on the mat. Or you can really use it as a conversation starter that gets to the, the kind of the guts and the grittiness of what's really going on in a team. And one of the, the most common kind of um, pieces of, of or questions we get up front when we talk about using these tools is, oh, no, but lots of our people don't like talking about stuff like that. They won't really, you know, how do you get people to engage? And we honestly find that it's it's one of the most powerful ways of getting people to engage and feel like they can actually have a conversation because it's positively framed, because it's got a kind of it's got time limits on it. Um, it's got a framework that helps people work through their the topic in a way that doesn't feel too judgmental and it gives people opportunity to explore ideas but explore them together without feeling that they're being kind of negatively judged and and what that means is sometimes we end up almost it opens the floodgates for people to say things that they've been dying to say for so long but never known how to phrase it or never known how to put it across in a way that people will take things positively so so actually we find that it's quite the opposite where people get get nervous and and they work through it together and then there's some questions that bring people to actions and commitments at the end as well so that it's not a, it's not just opening a can of worms but actually people are thinking about what they can do differently as a result of that conversation so it takes it through to personal accountability and commitment and actions and yeah there's a lot of design work that goes into those i would say deceptively simple yeah but not really a lot of work behind it 
we'll go into a lot of detail first with all the theory and the concepts and then we bring ourselves right back out again to okay what's the very simplest way of putting that what's the simplest question that we can put that would relate to anyone anywhere and our mats have been used by people in all markets and industries right the way across many countries different levels of leadership and they're designed to be able to be used by anyone so without any kind of qualification or certification process people can just pick them up and have a conversation with them i also think there's a there's there's something quite powerful about the question is on the card or on the mat so it's not me asking it so that kind of like lowers barriers and it, it feels much less threatening if i'm pulling a question out and reading it from a card it's just becomes a lot less personal at that point and I think it allows people to sort of engage more with it and takes that sort of whole relationship side of things out of it you just engage with the question not the the person asking the question absolutely I'm going to put that in our marketing material thank you John (laughs) oh hang on god I've said it now haven't I well thank you very much Alex it's really been interesting to talk about that kind of approach to learning on these things about using positive psychology about using essentially being dialogue and reflection driven and using the kind of emotional intelligence model. It is a different approach to thinking about about how we design and deliver learning. So you've, you've kind of triggered lots of thoughts in my head. So thank you very much for taking the time to do that. And if people want to know more about that, they can contact you. Yeah, absolutely. The website is, is baileyandfrench.com. So very simple. And there's lots of ways you can contact us on the website. So any kind of any links there is fine. Or contact me direct on LinkedIn. I've got my profile and all my details on there as well. So, but thank you very much. I've really enjoyed talking to you about it. I can go off into lots of detail about different aspects of it, but it's it's really interesting to talk about it in the whole with an example as well. It's coming to life all the time, and uh, the impact of it, I think, is 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 becoming more powerful, particularly with positive psychology. It's this is a whole new paradigm, and it is having so much effect on people's lives. It's 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 great, and it's very relevant right now as well. So. Well, thank you very much. And I really admire the persistence of your cat, which has spent most of this interview desperately trying to get on your knee. And which is an an admirable level of persistence for a cat. (laughs) Yeah, he's persistent, definitely. (laughs) But thank you so much. It's been great. 